This is the Health Witch Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ashley Bissonette Murphy. For those of you who are new and, well, it's been probably closer to four to five months now since I posted my latest episode, but I'm the founder of Health Witch, professor of public health, certified health education specialist, and herbalist. So welcome to season three, episode one. This is a ode to spring and the unofficial start of summer. So I am in Southern New England. It is close to 80 degrees and it's gorgeous here. It definitely feels more like summer. And I'm happy to be back with all of you. And I wanna share a little bit of information today. I just spring-like stuff, so flowers. And people have probably been wondering, where have you been? Well, just like the seasons, just like the flowers, I've really been hibernating in some regards. Still very busy, but hibernating, at least from social media. So I've been really, you know, now I'm ready for spring, now I'm more, you know, getting ready for upcoming social engagements and fun stuff coming up. But I've been revamping the website, busy writing my book, teaching, consulting, and I'm actually taking refresher courses at the Commonwealth Center for Holistic Herbalism. And I love learning new perspectives. I love just being engaged with other herbalists. So I think this is, you know, it just, it's been a great opportunity and I, gosh, I'm still, I'm just very much enjoying it right now. So I really like being immersed within medicine and science, the community, what people are doing. It's always changing. It's never ecstatic. It's just exciting. So that's what I've been up to. As far as, again, revamping the website, I've been adding a plant or an herb of the month that I think is useful, especially for all of you who are, um, you know, if you walk outside. This month I posted on Violet. Most people have tons of violets in their yard and they have no idea what to do with it. So I posted some information for you to be more, more pieces of inspiration to get engaged within the local plant world that surrounds you. So I'll be posting, keeping up hopefully with an herb of the month. I'll also be posting and adding to my consumer guides. People have asked me to post about consumer guides for some time. You know, where do I go to buy a mattress that doesn't have chemicals? Where do I go to purchase from a local witchcraft store? Where do I go to find a naturopathic doctor? Where do I go to see holistic dentist? Where do I go for that kind of stuff? So I've been posting some information and I'm still adding to the consumer guide. So you can always keep checking into that. Also, if you haven't done so already, you can sign up for the Health Witch newsletter, which again, I, you know, I, it's not junk mail. I will send tops two emails a month, typically one a newsletter of just the latest podcast, information, herbs, events, really fun stuff. So you can sign up for the newsletter at healthwitch.org. I've also been, again, if I didn't already say this here, expanding information on my classes and consultations just to give more information um, to you about exactly what the consults are all about and so on. And soon to follow, I'll be updating my logo. So don't be surprised if you log back on the, the website or my Facebook page and you just happen to notice, oh gosh, you know, is this the same site? <laughs> same, uh, you know, same person, same organization, you know, what's going on? Yes, it still is. I'll just be changing the logo. So that will probably happen within the next month or so. 
So just be on the lookout for that. Don't get too uh, confused or anything like that. Um, also too, you know, thank you everyone for your recommendations. If you have resources, again, I stress, you know, let me know. I'm always, you know, looking around for the healthiest, latest and, and best, right? So reach out to me by email, DM me, send me Facebook messages. I'm always, I'm always grateful to hear from all of you, especially if there's something you want to, you want me to cover on the podcast or in the blog or so on. Let me know. So also events, if there's a community events and fundraisers that really benefit the community, do let me know. I love bringing awareness to those types of events. So speaking of which, I am thrilled to be teaching at the 2021 Rhode Island Herb Festival this year. So this year, the Rhode Island Herb Festival is September 17th through the 19th in Situate, Rhode Island. And it's, I, I hope the weather really cooperates, but regardless, it's going to be such a great time. I will be joined by other fantastic doctors and herbalists. Uh, just to name a few, herbalist Susanna Stone will be offering women's circles. Uh, Emily Schmidt and Ryan Bouchard will be teaching an edible and medicinal mushroom intensive. Uh, there will be plant walks, a nurse's forum. Um, and Mary Blue herself will be teaching a course on four fundamentals of herbalism. Uh, let's see, what else is going on? Um, Peter Glantz on cannabis plant herbalism. Sessions on naturopathic oncology and the art of fermentation. You know, I, and I can't even tell you everybody that's involved in this. This really is such a great event. I highly encourage that you attend if you're able to, if you're really passionate about herbalism and such related topics here. And I know, uh, you know, other topics from indigenous medicine, doula, midwifery herbs, astral herbalism, naturopathic stuff. I mean, there's just so much going on with this event here. So if you're interested, you can check out the whole schedule and register at rhodeislandherbfestival.com. I wanted to take a couple minutes before we dive into today's episode to talk, just give a, a little bit about flower essences. Now, the science of flower essences and really flower energetics, well, I guess I could say plant energetics in general, but I'm focusing today on flowers, is becoming more known. So while ancient people of past really understood the lull, the attraction of flowers as kind of this, you know, quote unquote magical, you know, the imparting qualities and energetics of flowers to people, people who use them to create floral waters or essences or spells or perfumery or what we know today is functional fragrance. And then adding them even, you know, the, edi the edible varieties to dishes. People I think always understood just the particular magical qualities. And again, I think that in part is because they're so beautiful, right? But I think now we're beginning to really come up to date. The science is finally starting to catch up. You know, we're understanding them now in terms of neuroscience and quantum physics and so on. And I'm not going to get into all of the, the quantum science and physics and all of that. Um, but what I do want to say is just a, a little bit about the history. But actually, I guess I should back up for those of you who do not know what flower essences are. 
Flower remedies really gained traction in World War I. Really, and I think when we think about, and maybe you've seen this, maybe you've been to health food stores or maybe walked into Whole Foods or other stores, and you'll notice something called Bach remedies. Well, that's from Dr. Edward Bach, who originally came up with a set of 38 flower remedies. And he did this while he was working at the London Homeopathic Hospital right after the First World War. But what he noticed was, is that his patients, again, many of him, many of them veterans were just, they weren't recovering. They're having not only the physical wounds, but the psychological wounds and so on. But what he noticed is that using this energetic medicine, he was able to shift the perspectives of many of the veterans and patients that came to him. So it's really, really interesting to see how far Bach remedies have really come and how widely used they are even today. So flower remedies are really a way of taking the flower, taking the plant, putting it in a water, preserving it with a high alcohol content to really preserve that energetic therapeutic quality of the flower for that really just, just helps fortify the body, mind, spirit, and so on. Um, but really, we could also think of it too as vibrational medicine that really works on the mental and emotional level for, for people, especially for people who are going through trauma. But not just trauma. We see flower remedies that are used for fear, for uncertainty. Um, people who really overextend themselves, you know, they, they, they think they're doing good by just working themselves to the core, giving themselves up to other people without taking care of themselves. Flower remedies can be really beneficial for those people who overcare for the welfare of others. Um, you could also, I think about flower remedies for anxiety, depression, lack of interest. So really anything that needs to be really healed on a deep internal emotional level is where flower remedies really excel. And flower remedies are so accessible. You can easily go outside, do a little research, but you can go outside, pick the flower. And here's the thing too, even with flower remedies, is that you don't even need to pick the flower if you choose not to. Take a little cup of water, go sit and meditate with the plants, dip it in the water for a little while, make sure the sun gets to it for a little bit, um, and just let it sit there. And really take your time with the plant medicine. And then, you know, walk away from the flower, let it stand upright again, walk away with your cup of water, and begin the process of really just preserving that flower essence and use it as you will. I know... Typically, if I take flower essences, if I really need the medicine, I think it works best if you use it continually until the bottle's gone, usually a one ounce um, a one ounce container. And I'll put that under my tongue for four drops up to four times a day to really see the energetic shift. But people do use it differently. And I think listening to your body, listening to how you respond to energetic medicine, you personally is the best way to go. One of my favorite, favorite flower essences is wild rose. Wild rose is just like most roses. It's soft and it's delicate, but it can be very potent, right? Don't just go grabbing for it, otherwise the thorns will get you. So it reminds people that that softness is 
is necessary and being soft doesn't mean you're weak. I love rose because again, it's a reminder to keep the heart space open. And plus it just has a fantastic smell to it. It just has a olfactory response that just kind of slows you down and just relaxes you right away. So rose, you know, flower essences can do all of that. But, you know, for people who are really going through and, you know, rose, again, for opening the heart space, but I think rose too for people who are kind of going through the motions the day in and day out, they're moving so fast or they're just living life kind of passively on the sidelines. They're just, they're just kind of going through life. I think that wild rose really helps bring that kind of joy and I think most flowers do but it just helps bring that joy and encourages more active participation in life and your activities and what you're doing and finding pleasure and rose and pleasure and love are always kind of symbolic right but rose is just just an amazing flower essence and I think wild rose is another plant that people have some access to and it and especially if you live in New England we do have some that are by the water the ocean I love there's just nothing more beautiful than walking by the ocean and you have the wild rose and the smell of it it's just fantastic but that's just an example and there are many other ones but I want to jump now into a little bit of history okay so a little bit of history when I think about and by no means this, this is an exhaustive history, but just a little bit on flowers that I always thought was personally interesting. I don't know if anybody can hear the owl in the background. I am pretty much outside recording this, but right now I'm thinking about Tulip. So if anybody has seen the film Tulip Fever, it came out in 2007, 17, and it was really about a real event, a real phenomena that actually happened. 17th century Dutch tulip fever or mania is a time in the Dutch golden age, early 1600s when tulip bulbs were being sold and gambled at just astronomical prices. And many people gambled and lost it all, all of their life savings, all their inheritance on tulip bulbs. So just to put in perspective for all of you, um, you know, for 17th century Dutch tulip fever here, people would gamble on a tulip and spend 10 times their annual income that they would make on a tulip bulb. So if you can imagine, there was an economic crash that happened somewhere about 1637. But for anybody who's gone to the Dutch lowlands, you'll see the remnants and really the history still very much kind of present. Of course, it's not tulip mania or tulip fever, but you'll see these beautiful tulip fields and again, the Dutch are still very much known for their tulips. I'm also thinking about, and this is not too far removed here, you know, a couple hundred years ago, Victoria era uh, England. So the Victorians, instead of going into Hallmark and buying cards, of course, there was cards and there was snail mail. But you would go to your florist, the people selling flowers, and pick out a flower with a particular meaning. So one in particular I'm thinking of is daffodils. You would gift a daffodil to someone who's newly married or forget-me-nots for those loved ones. That's just a reminder of like, hey, I love you as a reminder. Or English daisies is another one. 
you know, English stages, maybe gifting to a couple who recently had a child, had a baby. And Daisy has always been symbolic of new life and innocence. And today, the flowers are no less part of our culture. And when you go to weddings, events, flowers are one of the Definitely the, the focal points, or maybe because I'm so interested in plants, it could be a bias I have, but I always, I'm always looking around the flowers. It's usually always in the, in the forefront. It's something that's always visual. It always softens an atmosphere. It really brings just a comfort to the events, to the room that you're in. Also to having flowers. I put flowers in my garden uh, just to, and many of the flowers in my garden I do use for flower essences or they do have herbal um, properties to them that I, that medicinal properties to them that I use in herbalism and so on here. But when I think about flowers, flowers are just a beautiful way to bring nature into your home. Now, I'm not gonna go too much further. I just thought I'd share those tidbits with you, but I'm excited to get to our guest today. She was a remarkable flower artist. <laughs> I guess I shouldn't say, I should say florist, but again, that's kind of the nickname I gave her. Uh, flower artist, she's an amazing gardener. She does, she really truly is an artist with flowers. Her arrangements are so spectacular. If you're not following her on Instagram, Please do. You will be amazed by all her her creations. And at the end of this episode, as well as in the podcast notes, I'll give all the information how you can contact her or just see what she's up to and look at her pieces of art. So now on to my guest. All right. Thank you, Nicole, for joining us on the Health Witch podcast. Would you mind starting off for the listeners just an introduction of who you are and what you do? Yeah. Um, so my name is Nicole Michaelopoulos. Um, I am Greek, uh, hence the last name. And my business is called The Greek Gardener. Um, I'm a florist and a gardener. Um, and basically, I offer um, everyday floral arrangements. I do weddings. And then I also do fine gardening, um, which I have uh, been doing uh, full time uh, starting this year. So I kind of switched from the floral design to the growing and the gardening. So it's been it's been great. Yeah. So that's me. So you definitely have the full spectrum, which is fantastic. And I'm sure we'll, you know, I'll have you close out by just letting listeners know where they can find you and just, I can't stress enough, the gorgeous arrangements that you make. And I think it's really, I think your artistry really shows with the arrangements, but then to have that hands-on, actually planting, harvesting, picking, I just, you can see it within your work. It's really, really thoughtful and very, very intentional it's just it's beautiful work thank you that means a lot um yeah it's it's really a passion I mean I think I think I I've I've always I've loved gardening since since I was very young and it's something that I kind of lost and then I came back to 
in my young adult and and adult life. So it's, it's a passion. It's always been there. And I think it started with gardening and then it kind of morphed into, oh, wow, I I can make arrangements out of these flowers that I'm growing or it it really is an art, both gardening and floristry. Um, So, yeah, I mean, as far as how to find me, I'm on all many um facebook and instagram those social media platforms um it's at the Greek gardener and then i have a website um it's the greek gardener ri.com and uh as i'm based in rhode island um so that's mainly it and then you know my email and everything and phone number is on there as well All right. Awesome. So I usually start the podcast off by also asking you if you identify with the archetype of the witch. Yeah. um, I think I do. I think, I think it's, um, I think it's different for everybody, you know, the the way that they relate to the term witch. Um, And Personally, for me, it's really, um, in my own life, I, I practice rituals and I use flowers when I'm practicing my rituals. Um, by no means am I a seasoned herbalist, but I do like to dabble and I like to create tinctures and potions. And when I'm doing those things, I very much feel... Like I embody, I am embodying the witch archetype. Um, but yeah, to me, a witch is a, a healer, is somebody that um, has knowledge to share. And um, I think for historically, witches were very much, um, very much like thought to be feared. And I just think that's because of the patriarchal system that there was. But really, there was so much knowledge and so much healing that they that they acquired or the wisdom they had that they wanted to share. And I think that fear plays a big part in suppressing people that, you know, have other ways of approaching things, health, um, you know, holistic approaches. I don't I don't know. I think. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I identify with it, definitely. But it's just such a, a broad term, and I think it's different um, for everybody. And there's no, like, there's no one way to be a witch, you know? Sure. Yeah, and I, I think what you said, too, I think part of the the patriarchal prosecution is a long-standing strategy to really you know, disconnect people from nature and disconnect people from their medicine. So I see you very much fitting into that overall, you know, you working with the plants and producing these beautiful arrangements, I think to the eye and to the larger public, it almost gives them back a piece of that connection to nature and their, their overall medicine. So I think it's very powerful what you do. And again, you know, just on the eye, right? So people gravitate toward it. It's just... So I really wanted to pick your brain today because, you know, when I think about flowers, can you tell me like what is the best time of 
day to pick flowers, uh, is there a phase of the moon, soil conditions. So this is all part of the big ritual, right? Or at least what I conceive to be the big ritual when it comes to flowers. So could you speak a little bit on that? Yeah. Um, as, as far as, you know, picking flowers and planting seeds, it's very much meditative uh, personally. And I think for many other people that garden, it's just like a mood booster, uh, makes you feel good. You know, you're, you're growing things. It's, it's all passion and love that you're putting into the earth. Um, as far as growing, um, as far as not growing, as far as planting with the moon, um, I personally, I haven't really tried that, but I know of an herbalist. Her name is Mary Blue. Um, she's based in Providence and, um, she just posted a video not too long ago about how she plants her seeds for her herbs, um, on the full moon. And I thought that was really interesting and something that I want to try. Um, I don't think that there is a right way to plant seeds necessarily. Like you don't have to plant it on the full moon, but it's, it's energetically, it makes sense. Um, and I think it's, it's awesome. Um, but if you don't plant it on a full moon, it's not, it's not detrimental to the growth of the plant. Um, and then as far as, you know, harvesting flowers, herbs, um, even vegetables, you really want to, um, harvest early, early in the morning or late in the evening. Um, you don't want to, harvest when you know at noon high noon if you're watering or if you're harvesting it's just the plant it's just so hot out it it affects the plant so it's better to to do it when it's cool um either morning or evening sure i can imagine <laughs> that's the thing yeah you go out in the afternoon plant. to pick a flower and it's all wilty or it's not upright and it's just <laughs> You know? Yeah, it's, it's already hot out, so it's like it wants water, it wants to stay on the ground. It's just going to be shocked when it's cut and then it's put into a vase of water. So it's better when it's cooler and it's, you know, earlier or later in the evening. Um, and what was your other question? Yeah, I think uh, that... Did I miss something? No, yeah, I think you addressed most of them. I don't know if there's anything else you want to add about the soil conditions. Are there things you add to your soil... Um, when you're planting your seeds? Yeah. Um, so there's so many plants and flowers, you know, every, every one is a little bit different and they need, you know, some need shade, some need sun. So there's di different growing conditions and the same thing goes for the soil. Um, there's plants that love you know rocky sandy soil like mediterranean plants lavender for example but there are others that you know thrive in like damp like super wet conditions like ferns um so really it depends on the plant that you're planting you want to know you want to have some background on the specific plant and and what conditions it thrives in and then from there you kind of like find a spot in your yard that fits that or you can create it. Um, I think in terms of all plants, compost is really great. Um, 
you know, just for the health of the plant. Uh, it needs those vital nutrients, micronutrients, just like we do. Um, so if you have soil that's very poor, you know, that's been exposed um, for a long time, the nutrients are just disappearing. So if you do have depleted soil, I really recommend, you know, putting a nice layer of compost, feeding those plants the nutrients that they need. Yeah, that's a really good point. And plus, too, I think just living sustainably, I usually always have a, you know, a little composter. I'm throwing my eggshells in there, coffee grinds, leftover, little, you know, bits and pieces of vegetables instead of throwing them in a trash and it goes in a landfill. I mean, that's really what turns into yeah. your, your garden gold, right? So I think that's a really useful tip. Yeah, definitely. I, I started composting not too long ago and it's so it's just it's fun it's just like a it's also rewarding because you're not just I've realized how much food is going in the garbage how much food waste one household can can create is just it's crazy and um yeah it's just I love seeing people do it and it is really important you know to have your own compost for your own garden it's it's just so so magical and rewarding. Yeah, definitely. So we live in New England. Um, and could you talk, you know, I, a lot of people are like, well, you know, I want to do, I want to learn a little bit more about some of the local flowers we have here. What are some really, I guess, your favorite local flowers to pick and which ones should we watch out for? Which ones should we not pick or maybe need a little bit more awareness because maybe they're on the watch list for being endangered? Yeah. Um, so seasonally right now, um, I mean, New England, we have all four seasons. So there's there's so much happening right now in spring and summer as far as flowers. Yeah. I would say I'm just going to like speak in terms of spring right now, what I see blooming. Um, I mean, there's tulips and there's, um, there's lily of the valley, which really speaks to me right now. Um, there's a bunch of it in my yard. It can be used as a ground cover. It, it spreads. Um, but they're so, the flowers from them are so tiny. They're like little fairy hats. And it's it, they're just so cheerful and they remind me of my childhood. Um, what else? There's lilac, which is, which is very fragrant. Um, mm, that's one of my like favorites. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as far, and then, you know, there's, there's things that grow really well in the garden and then there's, um, you know, cut flowers. So for cut flowers, um, there's anemone and sweet peas, um, right now there, there's so many, like the list goes on and on, but those are just one, some that speak to me, um, that I've used. So like this spring so far. Yeah, those are great. Yeah, and I yeah. I think I, I think about flowers too the same way you do, ones that kind of remind me of my childhood and lilac is one of them. My grandparents would always have, you know, the lilac bushes and just whenever the wind blew, it just had this really aromatic, beautiful smell. And of course, smell is linked to the oldest part of your brain, right? So whenever you smell something, mm. it just reminds you, it brings you back. And I also yeah. think about, you know, going through walks in the woods and 
we don't, I don't necessarily, I haven't seen them in a little while, but every now and then, lady slippers. And those I know are completely off limits. Those are one of the few orchids that are native to New England and they're, they're beautiful, you know? And I think yeah. obviously that's one of the obvious ones on the endangered list you do not touch. But can you talk about maybe some other flowers that are on the no-go list? Just observe them, but do not touch or pick them. Yeah. Um, in ter- or maybe on the watch list. They don't have to necessarily be on the endangered list. Yeah. There definitely is a watch list and an endangered list I for, for New England plants. Um, I haven't really come across any or really worked with any, but... Um, Lady slipper is one. I don't. I don't know if you wild forage or anything. If you know of other ones, but I know that there are some some websites that definitely um, highlight you know what not to pick. Because I feel like people go into the woods bl- blindly, not really knowing what they're picking or collecting, and then you know one of those could be endangered. Um, yeah, I hope that. I hope that I've never done that before. <laughs> it's good. But, to, uh, yeah, I think another one I think of is Princess Pine, which is always gorgeous. I know that's more of a winter thing. But, you know, people used to go in hordes and just, like, take all of it up. And, you know, I think as a young child, I, I don't think I necessarily thought of them as being on the watch list. So, you know, now I know better. You know, it's not like I haven't done it before. But now that I know, and I think, again, it's part of being the awareness. And what I'm going to do, I'm actually going to put a in the podcast show notes a link to the endangered and watch list for plants for people who do want to go out and local forage plants and flowers and such. Yeah, that's great. I mean, are there herbs um, also that like you could highlight or that you know of? Because I'd also like to know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, I mean, I'm thinking about not necessarily, I know, not necessarily herbs. I mean, we just, when I think about herbs, many of the, many of the most potent herbs that are around us are technically weeds. <laughs> They're very invasive. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, the yeah, ones yeah. that I personally work with, you know, that are just so prevalent. Um, so, you know, offhand, I think it's, some herbs might be a little bit harder to find. I'm thinking of like the tea berry, but I don't, I'm not so sure if that one's technically on the watch list, but there are some herbs that are harder to find than others. Yeah. I know witch hazel is native to the area. You don't see much of witch hazel, um, at mm-hmm. least where I live. Uh, hazelnut is another one, but again, those are more trees. I know there's the red twig dogwood, which is absolutely gorgeous. That's another native one. Um, but those are definitely, those are more trees and bushes that are harder to come by. And yeah, I think mm-hmm. I have to, I don't work with them. Um, I know of them. And of course, if I do see them, I just kind of, I'm always in awe because they're gorgeous. But um, I don't know if they're on the watch list. And that's something I'm going to have to check out and revisit myself. Yeah, I think it's important um, for people to just, to, you know, before going to the woods or picking something off the highway that they think is pretty or, um, 
you know, even herbalists and just people that, you know, don't know anything about plants. Um, yeah, it's important to do the research and, and like know what you're picking and to like never ingest a plant that you don't have some background on Yes, because plants are powerful. And I think people don't realize that sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I think people outside of the herbal community definitely underestimate the power of plants. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. So, all right. So people don't, what if they don't necessarily wild forage? They're not, or maybe they're not growing their own flowers in their garden. I know if I go to the stores, I see certification options like biodynamic, um, certified organic, eco-cert, fair trade certified, uh, rainforest alignments, very floor. Mm-hmm. I, and the list goes on and on. Um, so yeah. when you go to the store and say you're purchasing flowers, you know, where do you, when you're going to buy them, what do you look for? What, what's your driving force for what flowers you purchase? Is there a good way to do this? Is there a bad way to do this? <laughs> you know, how do you buy your flowers? Yeah. yeah, that's a great question. Um, I, uh, so my perspective and the way that I've bought flowers has changed from the beginning when I first started being a florist to now. And I think what I've realized most is that I think that the floral industry has been and still can be very wasteful um, as far as the packaging used to, you know, for the flowers and, you know, the different tools and and mechanics that, um, like foam, you know, stuff like that that's used, um, can be very, you know, not environmentally friendly and, and just wasteful. Um, so I, I used to just go into like, like when I first started out, go into the grocery store and buy like a package of flowers. And usually if people are doing that, they're, if they're buying a bouquet from the supermarket, those are typically not organic. Um, they're probably imported from South America or somewhere where they, where they're able to grow flowers year round. So I kind of changed, um, you know, where I buy my flowers from because I was, I kind of was just evaluating, you know, my whole life and, and where I buy all my things from and trying to, to see, you know, you know, how wasteful I was being, what I could do to improve. So I really recommend, uh, buying flowers locally if you can, um, you know, spring and summer in new England, there's so many flower farmers or roadside stands where, you know, not all of them are, or are organic, but some of them are, and you're supporting, um, you know, a local business. I think that's also really important too. Um, I think a lot of people do, especially in the floral industry, buy imported flowers because they get a better quality of blooms. But, you know, if you're not doing a wedding and if, you know, you are able to shop local, there are still beautiful blooms that are grown organically or, you know, just grown locally. And I think that using what's in season, not only with herbs, but with flowers, 
um, even food, I think it's important. So I think it applies to all three of those things, really. Um, does that answer it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that's a great, great tip. Yeah, it definitely. So if you farmers markets local is definitely i'm I'm with you there I, yeah i think about you're right exactly the packaging we have to consider uh the energy yeah, it costs even... to ship the flowers i mean and there's and i'm sure again i don't know as much as you do but you know how much i'm just thinking about how much water how much energy between those particular types and variations shipping them keeping them packaging them it's just it's really is a lot it is. And, you know, it's a whole industry. It's not going to stop. But I think the more people that buy locally or even grow their own, like if you're ambitious and you love gardening, you know, there's so many avenues to, to, to learn about growing flowers um, that are literally right at your fingertips. Like there's so many books and there are groups and, and you can volunteer, you can learn how to garden. Um, you know, I learned basically all that I know from just hands-on experience and I still have so much to learn, but I feel like just by doing also is so, so that like, that's the, has been the best teacher for me personally, just, you know, growing and experimenting, like some things will not, you know, come up or you'll have, you know, you'll, you'll, be ambitious and plant uh, like a bunch of zinnias in a cut flower garden and they won't come up, but you learn why. And I think that's really important. And then when you do get those beautiful blooms, you're, you know, you can sell them, you can use them in your arrangements. It's just, it's so, it's so great. Yeah, definitely. All right. I'm going to ask you a little bit more on the beauty part. Cause again, your arrangements are just gorgeous. So how do you Thank know you. what flowers to pair is there a little bit of like a an arrangement science here just like are certain things you just always pair together maybe give us a little bit of tidbits on colors and heights I don't know (laughs) yeah uh I think I think every artist and every florist has a different approach to design and I think that's what makes it so beautiful that that you know there's flowers and there's florists but there's so many different ways to do it and so many different ways to create a beautiful arrangement. Um, personally, I it depends on what the client is looking for or what, what I'm trying to achieve with the design. Um, some rule like some rules and tips I guess I could give for floral arranging. Um, you know, it would be, I typically green, if I'm doing a vase arrangement, I typically green the vase arrangement first to kind of create like a basket type things. You know, it gives it some... So are you using like foam at the bottom of this or like a... No, no, no. Um, Just a a vase with water. And then, you know, if you, you don't have to use greenery, but if you're creating an arrangement that has greenery, You'll start with like your lemon leaf or your leather leaf or maybe a couple sprigs of eucalyptus and then you'll kind of layer in your flowers from there. I think the greens kind of um, act as like a, a starting point and you just layer from there. Really it's it's kind of, my approach is like layering the flowers 
bit by bit. Um, so I'll do the greens and then I'll kind of do the vocal flowers. So the vocal flowers are more, they're, they're, you know, the sturdier flowers or the ones that pop out are, are the bigger blooms. And then you have your filler flowers, which will fill in any empty spaces or, or room, you know, that any room that you see, like with your eye, anything that looks like, like a gaping hole, you'll fill in with filler flowers. Um, and I think as I've learned, you know, the different types just by, by doing, um, and I think, you know, sometimes I'll like cluster flowers, like I'll do a cluster of three yellow tulips. Um, and that kind of brings the attention of the eye to that one point. Um, and then, you know, sometimes I feel like doing a really wild arrangement. So I'll do lots of greenery and I'll, I'll make it very whimsical and very flowy and I'll leave things long and I'll add, you know, like branches of a tree or like, you know, a really flowy green. And, um, I, I don't know. I just, I love making arrangements like that. They're more, they're very like free spirited and, yeah. and whimsical and fun. And I kind of feel like that reflects my personality, but I like making them all, you know, there's some arrangements that are really uniform and compact and people love that. And then some people like the really flowy stuff. Um, I just love the variety and I just, I, I love making, you know, making it whatever somebody else wants or making something for myself. It's yeah, it's, well, that's really yeah, yeah, that's really interesting you said that, how certain people want arrangements or they, they make a request and it does kind of mirror their personality. So do you find it that? Does. Yeah, okay. That's really interesting. And I yeah. it's actually going to segue to my next question is, you know, when people choose flowers and they have their arrangements, their personalities, are there certain flowers that, maybe it's not the best segue, but flowers especially that are just really linked to symbolism or people gravitate toward, or we could just speak more generically, you know, roses for usually on Valentine's, right? And for love and colors. Can you talk a little bit more maybe about symbolism and why, when and where certain flowers are most appropriate? Yeah. Um, this is a cool topic. It's and yeah, I think, I think that there are definitely certain flowers for certain occasions. I've heard that and I've kind of from different florists that I've worked with or people, um, you know, like lilies are symbolic of, uh, you know, have really been used in funerals, uh, white lilies, and those kind of symbolize death in a way, mm. but, um, death can also be rebirth. So I don't think that they're less beautiful for symbolizing something, you know, being symbolic in funerals or anything like that. Um, yeah, I'm saying else? people get more away from, you know, maybe a little bit, and you would know more, but less traditional meaning people are now gifting or using red roses whenever they want. You know, it's not necessarily just limited to to Valentine's Day or for... Um, romantic love interest so I guess yeah people are probably switching it up a little bit more 
Yeah. Um, I think traditionally, I also feel like this may just be my opinion, but I feel like, um, with the different generations, like flowers can mean different things to different generations or like have been proposed or like aesthetically pleasing to different people depending on their age. I don't know. That could be totally just my opinion, but yeah, for Valentine's day, I think traditionally people assume like, Oh, this gigantic bouquet of red roses or like, two dozen red roses. I remember working at um, my first job um, at a flower shop and everybody wanted the longest red roses or, you know, if it was red really represented like a romantic love. But I think now, um, I don't know, it's not necessarily true. It really depends on the person and, you know, like you can love somebody and give them red roses and they're just your friend. It doesn't have to be romantic partner but I I have noticed that um traditionally people love to give red roses on Valentine's Day um and you know different colors of different flowers mean different things to people um purple is like loyal and even you know even flowers and plants themselves like I feel like they hold their own energy and they have their own stories and their own um, meaning and words associated with them, which is, which is really beautiful in a way too. I, I kind of like relate with flowers and plants spiritually because they have their own messages and their own, um, yeah, their own energy is, is the best way that I can explain it. Yeah, that's a perfect way of putting it. And it's true. When I think about plants, you know, some of the medicinal qualities within plants that we value, if you go to some of the age old spell books, they're used for the very same thing because they picked up on the energetic property. It's just being used a little bit differently. You know, we know a little bit more about the neuroscience. We know a little bit more about uh, just more of the vibrational medicine, but it's, it's there, you know, it's part of the ancient wisdom. Recently, yeah, I recently I just picked up a book. um, It's the Hedwidge Field Guide. It's more of like kind of like a Oracle deck by CeeLo Thompson. It's really interesting. It's just and she's out of more Washington states and she was just going through. I love her her artwork with it, too. And just going through the local plants and their meanings and their energetics. It's really, really interesting if you haven't had a chance to look through it yet or just um, work with it, but I, I, I just, uh, I enjoy working with that one. And again, it's recent, but it's, it's pretty cool to look at. Yeah. I, I want to check it out. Definitely. So yeah, when I think about too, maybe do you, I was going to ask a little bit more, you mentioned at the start a little bit about flowers and rituals and how you use flowers overall for your well-being and again you mentioned you know having flowers that really are very uplifting but can you tell us a little bit more about how you incorporate flowers into your everyday maybe a little bit more about your daily ritual your routine as a gardener and floral arranger yeah um i think right now i'm gardening full time so my my uh 
my work day starts very early. I, I wake up at like 6.30 and, you know, I'll get ready. And really, I'm just in the, the garden all day. I'm pruning, I'm harvesting, cutting things back, um, working with the soil, you know, and mainly like, I just, you know, I take water breaks. So water is really important, you know, wear a hat and sunscreen if you're, if you're gardening. Yes. Um, (laughs) So that's what my, my days look like right now. And then, you know, when I get home, I, I kind of try to do some self care. It's important. And it's, it's hard, um, you know, when you're working every day, but it's really important. You can't neglect yourself. Um, so I've, I've created some, um, some different things with lavender recently. I create, created a lavender oil, like massage oil and a tincture. Um, I think lavender is probably my favorite herb plant, uh, whatever you want to call it. Um, so I love using those. And then, you know, if I take a bath, I'll put flowers in it with Epsom salt or, and baking soda to kind of detoxify, but also, you know, it's aesthetically pleasing. I think I'm very much um, an aesthetic person. I'm a Libra, so I love beauty and, and, you know, sharing beauty with others. I think that's why I like creating flower arrangements um but yeah there are little rituals that I that I do with plants that you know make me appreciate them um a lot yeah and I I just I love you know and again the flowers I I guess it's all a matter of interpretation but some people would say it's weeds I have on my garden, uh, uh, my, not even on my garden, on my deck, just this big, beautiful clay pot. And I grew my own pot of dandelions. My husband was like, what are you doing with this? <laughs> you know? <laughs> no, and I said, no, so I mean, it's, and I, yeah, I can eat the greens, I can eat the roots. And, you know, yeah. I'm always careful about the soils we have. I'm not just going to go get dandelions when my neighbor's spraying in their yard, you know what I mean? So I'm very, very cautious as to where I source, especially locally, you know? So, um, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, and I love dandelions, you know? I think it's all a matter of interpretation, but sometimes if I know I'm going to, you know, have them in a salad, I'll clip them, bring them inside, enjoy them for a couple hours, and then put them in the salad. And I love having flowers within culinary preparations or dishes. They really just have this a little bit of color a little bit of you know and I think when yeah. you go to eat your food you know the digestive process starts before you start shoveling it in your mouth it's before it's when you're looking at it so I think even edible flowers are just wonderful yeah totally um nasturtiums are coming to mind for edible flowers and those are not too difficult to grow um could you so spell that for listeners? Nasturtium. Uh, let's see. If I have it here. Uh, it's N-A... 
One second. Nasturtiums, violets even. Yes. Yep. I recently actually on my blog at healthwitch.org, I recently just did a thing on violets. I love violets. They are really just so soothing. Mm, yes. So it's N-A-S-T-U-R-T-I-U-M. They're orange flowers and I find even in cooking, um, chefs will use the edible, the nasturtiums or the violets, you know, like you were saying, to really make the food look appealing. Um, and, you know, but they're also like great to, to eat and they taste good. Um, and, you know, I also like, I feel like people use herbs all the time in cooking. Um, so it's really great to highlight those as well, like rosemary and yeah. lemon balm and lavender. So many. There are so many. Yeah, I I remembered I uh, I studied abroad in, in France and they had these, um, they have a thing. And again, I have a thing for violets too. Again, they're such a cooling, soothing herb, especially as, you know, the springtime gets really warm. I don't know. Again, it's been like 80 here as you you probably have the same weather over there in Rhode Island, but you know, it's just so warm, but they used to take anyway, the violets and they would preserve them in like a sugar like glaze. You could find them in candies. You could find them in cookies. You'd find them in salads. You could find them in perfumery. It was just so many different things. And that's why, you know, when I, it's funny when I recently did the blog, people were like, really, you can do something with violets. And yeah, I think again, they look so pretty in dishes and desserts. And you mentioned, too, lemon balm, mint even looks really cool, especially when the peppermint gets big and you have those peppermint-like beautiful white flower. Yes, yeah, all of them, really. And, yeah, I I didn't really know that I could use violets either, you know, with cooking and different types of things. And I kind of fell in love with the flower um, this past year. It's so great. And when you were in France, did you go to any lavender fields in Provence oh you know I actually did not have a chance and I that's something I do regret I have all intention to go back I did have we had the sunflower fields that I did go through um so that that was that was really beautiful yeah that's great yeah so that's uh can you tell listeners a little bit about the projects you're up to um, and a little bit more, I guess, I know you already started off with the podcast really with some of the services that you do, but maybe a little bit more again, just about the projects and how as a, you know, you really are excelling what you do. Do you, you know, who do you look to for inspiration? How do you develop your projects or just anything like that that you want to add? Yeah, definitely. Um, so, like I said, right now, mainly, um, I think last year and last season, I was mainly focused on weddings and floral arrangements. And I think, uh, not to say that it's like one or the other, I will always do both. And I love both gardening and floristry. But right now, I just feel like I need to be connected with the earth. So, I'm gardening full time. Um, 
and I do offer fine gardening for um, anybody, you know, homeowners or um, uh, businesses that need need fine gardening maintenance or installs um, in Rhode Island. So that's a service that, you know, I'm doing um, currently and, you know, I'm open to taking on new clients. And the same thing goes for, um, you know, weddings and um, everyday arrangements. Um, You can order through my online shop on my website um, if you want. Uh, flower delivery, um, I offer those, and then I think I won't be doing as many weddings this year and next, but I'm still open, um, you know, to consults and, you know, seeing if I'm a good fit for, um, a certain bride, um, really it's, you know, I, I like, the variety and I like um, being in the garden, but also being able to create with those flowers that I grow. So it's really like a full circle, really rewarding job. It's hard work, but I'm just, I'm thankful to, to know both and to do both. And it means a lot that, you know, what you said earlier that uh, you can see like a lot of, uh, inspiration from nature in my arrangements because I feel like that's what I I try to do and I I try to reflect my own feelings and my own my own journey through the arrangements as much as I can and it's very much you know based on my love of nature and plants and I think that that will forever be that way yeah Nicole it was such a pleasure speaking with you today but before I, I leave you here, um, can you tell people just once again where people can find you in your beautiful plant work? Yes. Um, so you can find me on Instagram and Facebook uh, at The Greek Gardener. Um, and then on my website, uh, thegreekgardenerri.com. I'm based in Rhode Island and yeah, feel free to reach out, um, email or phone. It's, it's on the website. So thank you so much. I really, I love talking with you. Um, you're really an inspiration to me and it's just lovely to, to be here. So thank you. Oh, likewise, Nicole. Again, I'm always inspired by what you're doing. And of course you have the dream job, I think. If I was going <laughs> to think of another, you honestly have a dream job, at least to me. But uh, anyway, it was such an absolute pleasure. Nicole, thank you so much and be well. Yes, you too. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you feel called to, please give me some stars, write a review, let me know what you think, your recommendations. I love all of the feedback that everyone has been giving to me. The feedback is great. And when you do leave your feedback and you check those stars, it helps other people find the podcast. So until next episode, everyone be well, witches, and everyone take care and be healthy.